those rich people always flying off somewhere. Oh. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Maxi and Maureen still sitting across from each other. There's a lot of exactly. construction going on. Mm-hmm. A moment ago there was also techno music, so apparently that's that's pretty much stopped. But I think I would oh, pick I that over it. the... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, there is, like, the bass sound. I actually wish that I could open the window so that we could have, like, some cool, like, Dance Mix 95 in the background of us <laughs> talking about this. But unfortunately, <laughs> the construction sounds would just overpower it. Yeah. So, anyway. Anyway. We are very hot. We are very hot. <laughs> in this room. <laughs> yeah, we just went out for some lunch, and now we are back to have so many more great conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so today we wanted to talk about how capitalism trains us to prioritize the form of things over their substance. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is that I think so much of our lives are spent pursuing diplomas or grants or job titles or, you know, recognition that is very, that's like very superficial Mm -hmm. and that a lot of those things are devoid of actual substance. And you're always, every time you're pursuing an endeavor, you're pushed to think about how are you going to market this? How are you going to make sense of it post this experience in order to sell yourself Mm. more highly? Mm. And so we wanted to we wanted to talk about that today and also have it segue into a discussion of why I think certain people are particularly defensive of capitalism or are particularly mm-hmm. or don't want to dismantle the way that these labels work just because since we intimately know that there might not be that much behind this label that categorizes us and helps us like gain prestige in the world, mm-hmm. then we become invested in maintaining mm-hmm. those forms of identifying. So like what I mean is if you got a certain job title or if the organization you work for has a certain mission statement that it's being recognized for – and you know deep down that that work is actually not being done or that that recognition was perhaps not really well deserved then pointing that out would sort of like unmask you to the world as maybe mm-hmm. not having achieved all of these all of these things and mm-hmm. since we live in a world where that's so much more about like what you do than who you really are mm-hmm. and who you are is supposed to be tied to these exterior labels that you're validated through it's sort of the self-fulfilling like vicious cycle of Mm -hmm. like everyone's invested in maintaining the structure because they have personal stake in it Mm -hmm. but it also like really keeps us in this like yeah imposter syndrome and terrible mentality that that these labels are more important than like the core of who we are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how many times, like, okay, so I, I've obviously just uh, graduated with a PhD and I'm applying for all these postdocs now and sessional positions and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also keeping my, my door open to non-academic jobs. And so I'm creating, I'm turning my CV into a resume basically. And so like how what many What is the times... difference between a CV and a resume? A CV is like, it's, first of all, it's like seven pages long and it's just like, it's just a list of all of your publications and all of your awards and all of your teaching. And you don't have, you don't have to write anything about that because it's just like, 
just the fact that you taught these courses, if you're a lecturer, like people know what that means. Or Mm -hmm. like if you have so many publications, it's like, oh, how impressive. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like a list of all of your like gold stars of, yeah, look, I'm an expert because look at my huge ass list of everything that I've Mm -hmm. done. And a resume is different. It's like one page, one to two pages. And it's really about actions and outcomes. It's really about outcomes. So it's like, I did this and this is the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another thing. It's like, when you're saying that, you know, these things are really tied to people's personalities or like, you know, we care more about what people do than who they actually are. It's like, yeah, we care about what people do, but we only value things that they do in terms of if they make a lot of money for a company or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like if they really become successful in this very narrowly defined way. But, uh, but yeah, so trans translating the CV to in a resume, that's like super, you know, impact based and whatever. I mean, how many times, like how many times have you written a a resume and you're like, okay, well, instead of just saying that I was uh, a lecturer or like a a researcher, it's like, I was a senior project manager that individually, like single handedly did this. And then I have all these bullet points of like, I did all of this, you know what I mean? Or when it was like, it's all about sounding good. Right. Yeah. Even if it's not, and even if it's not actually true, the fact that you were able to turn it to have it sound mm-hmm. good is like a winning strategy and winning applauded for right. it, you know? Yeah, and it's what you're supposed to do. Like, you're supposed to just, like, use all these euphemisms and, mm-hmm. you know, like, more impressive language to be like, well, I wasn't just, you know, uh, a receptionist. I was an executive assistant to right. the, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, a customer service representative. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's just, it just keeps people bought into the system and in this really nefarious way where a lot of people don't even realize it Mm -hmm. because it just becomes so, so like, it's so part of your identity or like you, yeah, like your sense of self-worth is just so wrapped up in this idea that like, Mm -hmm. yes, I am such a change maker. I am such a, you know, an asset to this, this organization or this company. Like I am the expert and they're lucky to have me really. Mm -hmm. When of course it's like the laborers have like no power in this capitalist system. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, when I think about the diplomas or the awards that like would really impress people I mean might impress people on my resume they actually say really little about the things I I've actually done and I'm actually proud of mm-hmm. and just oh yeah certain things that look really impressive I'm like wow that was yeah it was hard to get or like the mm-hmm. application for that particular thing was pretty labor intensive mm-hmm. but I bullshitted a lot of that application uh-huh. and a lot of what happened like when I got that particular grant or when I got that particular diploma is really not reflect. Like, I feel like there's so much leading up to like getting the thing, but then Mm -hmm. once you get the thing, it's actually like you get there and you're like, Oh wait, this is the thing that everyone is like so fucking impressed by, you know, Mm -hmm. because we just live in a society where like the spectacle of success or of individualism Mm -hmm. and of all these diplomas is so much more important Mm-hmm. Like the appearance is so much more than important than the actual substance of it. Right. And everyone kind of knows that, but we all tacitly agree yeah. to pretend that that's not the case. Because it's a like. competition. It's a competition. Yeah. You got to put your best foot forward all the time. You got to make it seem like you are really like the person, like you are the star and that like you are so marketable to all these corporations and mm-hmm. things like that. So 
uh, I mean, we all just tacitly agree, but it's because we're just not willing to like fight the system collectively. You know what I mean? So we're all just like, well, we have to agree. Otherwise we don't get a job Mm -hmm. or we don't get the grant or we don't get anything. If we're not going to sing our own praises Mm -hmm. and pretend like we're doing so much more substantial work than we actually are Mm -hmm. or so, or that our work is so much more meaningful to society than it actually is, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And since we live in the society of (laughs) constant marketing of ourselves, it's really easy to get lost in that identity and not know who you really are and what your actual worth is. And like, yeah, I don't blame people for not knowing what their worth is just because there's so little emphasis on like the fact that that's even important. Mm-hmm. I work with teenagers, as I've mentioned on this show before, and essentially I'm a person who prepares them for standardized testing and I mean, that is, it's really made me think a lot about how young we are conditioned to think in this way. Mm -hmm. They don't do anything for the sake of doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. And they don't really know what they truly get enjoyment out of. Mm -hmm. Every hobby that they have in high school now is, I mean, I'm generalizing, but they talk about it like, you know, the startups they might want to create or how they like can manipulate people to make money off of it, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's just really fucked up and they have like so much pressure to be exceptional and to not just like be themselves and to understand Mm -hmm. that like their self-worth is really not tied to all these like exterior validation systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially these bullshit capitalist ones. Yeah. But talk about like the, the mandatory volunteer hours they have to do and the trips that they do, because that to me just is like so sick. Yeah. I mean, so I think, most high schools. Did you have this in your high school? Like, we had mandatory um, volunteer hours, but I really don't remember. I mean, I guess, I, you know, we were a privileged neighborhood or we were a privileged uh, town, but nobody was really like taking trips overseas and doing like volunteerism or anything. Like people were just kind of working. Like I helped with um, a, you know, differently abled hockey league or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in a lot of these high schools that are really, really privileged and all the kids have a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, they – so, I mean, there's a few different structures under which this happens. A lot of them are doing the international baccalaureate, mm-hmm. and you have to have 150 – I think it's 150 mandatory hours of community service. And a lot of them get to – also because they're so overloaded with responsibilities and other activities they're doing basically just to get into college, they get to their summer between, uh, between what, junior and senior year of high school, and they knock – to knock out the, like, 150 hours, like, as quickly as possible and as impressively as possible, they take a trip overseas to a, you know, quote-unquote underdeveloped or different – yeah to like a poor country yeah um to build an orphanage or to help repaint a school or something like that and they spend oftentimes thousands of dollars doing it with some kind of organization Mm. pay a lot on plane tickets uh and end up using that for their college application and not only are there obviously a bunch of neo-colonial dynamics that are at play with very privileged like white kids exactly going overseas to volunteer but it's also it also makes me sad because a lot of these kids are sort of broken you know and like insecure Mm. and working the structure that's like 
highly, highly competitive, super affected by stereotypes of gender that they need to excel at under social pressures during high school. They, a lot of them don't have very good communication amongst each other and are super stressed. And so they're like closer communities, like already needs work and needs vastly increased levels of empathy and understanding and, Mm -hmm. and affection and everything. And I feel like nothing good can come of like that person extracting themselves for not even extracting themselves, but like going over to help another community. Mm-hmm. And they're not even the, you know, that they know absolutely nothing about. Yeah. Like I was reading, I just finished reading this amazing book called Emergent Strategy. And one of the things she really stresses is that as an activist, you need to spend a lot of time caring for your own community and, and mirroring what you want the outside world to be already in your in the mm. connections that are close to you. Mm. And that's obviously a hugely important point. And I just really see how much these volunteer programs like fall completely short of that mm-hmm. because yeah, there's like, no one cares about making, about getting like a, a better sense of self for these kids or like mm-hmm. their environment or of mm-hmm. like making them think that they're worth it extends beyond getting into a good college. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, these kids are like learning to think about volunteer service as something that they, that only is worthwhile to pursue if you're going to market it and mm-hmm. also can only exist in a very poor country, very far away. But also that it's like, it's not it, like, like you said, it's not a sustained relationship. It's not thinking about no. like justice or transforming systems that would actually help to, you know, alleviate the inequality in the world that, you know, leaves certain countries, uh, you know, more destitute, I guess, than others, you know? So it's like not about transformative change at all. It's about, it's not even about like a long sustained relationship. It's about, I'm just going to go in and out for like two weeks, have a little mini vacay and then feel like, wow, I'm really, what a change maker. I'm really making such a huge difference in the world. And now I'm going to put that on my college application as like, look what I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's really (laughs) upsetting. And I think it contributes to this whole, like, I don't know, because I see it, I guess, from their, like, I think, like, what is it doing to the psyche of these kids to really, I mean, first of all, they're, they live in, like, these really privileged bubbles. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, instead of, like, learning to deconstruct their privilege and, like, understand how it's also affected them and has, like, Mm -hmm. barred them of a certain humanity or a certain understanding of just, like, how the world works, Mm -hmm. now they're learning that doing good and feeling good is only worthwhile if it's going to go on your resume. And it's also not doable in your own community. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many things to do already in France, in Paris. Why go all the way over there, you know? Mm -hmm. And also just to like build an orphanage or build like they're, they're also like learning that the way to contribute to society is to be really wealthy. You know what I mean? Like get yourself a lot of wealth and then build schools for people. And like, you know, like don't transform the system at all that makes certain people wealthy and certain people without a school, just get a lot of money for yourself and then do little trips here and there to like give back, you know, it's just, it's sick. And then it just makes it like, you know, the privileged people are the saviors. The privileged people are the ones that are contributing the most, even though they're benefiting from the most, from the construction of gross inequality. Completely. And then I think that maybe on a deep level, they could see that after the one week of building the orphanage, like something wasn't quite right, or maybe they Mm -hmm. didn't help out that much. Mm -hmm. But then 
you become so invested in talking about it, marketing it, and saying this one-liner of like, I went over to Togo in order to build an orphanage for kids with a certain Mm -hmm. disease. Mm -hmm. And that becomes like so much of a part of how you sell yourself and how you see yourself and how you value what you've done that then it becomes so much harder to criticize Mm -hmm. the nonprofit industrial complex or the fact that this was bullshit in the first place because you Mm -hmm. don't even know who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I took part in a volunteer thing when I was... 22 or so and I was in university and I was I was trying to find somewhere to do my master's I wanted to find a good project so I was like yeah I'm gonna go look at like volunteerism in India and I went to like quote-unquote help with this elephant conservation project which turned out to not be elephant conservation at all it was actually it was really sad like so there was this there's this fort in Jaipur called Amber Fort and so tourists pay to like ride up to the fort in an elephant like on like on in this elephant carriage or whatever so it was really just about you know taking care of the elephants that worked at this amber fort and they were kept in this really tiny little compound just like chained there like they there was it was hardly any space and the mahouts like they were the people they were the families that lived there and actually you know i guess drove the elephants i don't know what to say but like rode, rode the yeah like they like you know were controlling the elephant movement while the tourists were in the back and um so they actually took care of the elephants but they had no money they were living in this little tiny compound with a whole bunch of them living in this small space with the elephants and like taking care of them and everything and so like the owners were just profiting hugely exploiting these elephants and exploiting these people and so a number of us who went there were just like wow what the hell like I thought we were going to be part of some kind of elephant conservation project like this is not conservation they basically just brought us in in the morning to like feed them and bathe them but we didn't know what we were doing like the Malhuts know how to bathe them and, and feed them better than we do so they're just showing us like okay how here's how you bathe them and so then we're doing it we're obviously taking 10 times longer than they would take to do it <laughs> so it's like we're not helping in the slightest and all of our money went to like wealthy families and everything mm. So a bunch of us left that experience feeling like this sucked and like we really want to move these elephants out into an open pasture where they can actually run around and like there's because there was these cute baby elephants that were chained up too. Mm -hmm. It was really depressing. So anyway, we started this like charity to raise money to like get these elephants out into this pasture and like give money to the the Malhut families because we're just like none of this is going there, right? But it's just like it's just shocking this entire industry that's risen up I mean, it's totally around this whole idea of, like, wealthy, privileged people needing to, like, feel like they're giving back and needing needing to market themselves as this, like, compassionate, like, you know, caring, great member of society. Mm-hmm. So this is, there's this entire industry marketed to, yeah, people's, like, complexes around, you know, their totally. inferiority complexes and they're, like, needing to show themselves in a certain way. But the whole industry is is just based on this falsity like they and they know it is they they're, know it is they're and just, everyone knows it yeah is. they know yeah. everyone knows they're just exploiting the fact that they know that western people will pay for this because they need it on their resumes totally it's like not for actually helping anything or anybody mm-hmm. anyway yeah that reminds me of another one of my experiences that i told you about with volunteering with high schoolers mm-hmm. yeah and like i still carry some shame about that just because i feel 
And also I started this, I did this because I thought it was like a really cool initiative and I thought that it would genuinely make a change um, because I was part of this uh, other organization before, which, you know, is problematic in certain ways, but I also think is helpful in others where basically schools get, so like quote unquote underprivileged schools um, in like tough neighborhoods in New York, you know, get workshops. So I'm not going to say anything about them really bad about them. So I can just say their names, but it's called peer health exchange where you get like each school gets 10 workshops around like health education, because a lot of schools in the U S if they don't have the finances and unless they're one of the privileged lucky fews don't get health education. So there were 10 different workshops. Uh, I taught the one on abusive relationships. There's also like nutrition, which I taught at one point when I think back to the nutritional recommendations as a vegan, I'm like, oh, I would have a lot. I would not want to teach that one anymore Mm because like it advocated for like dairy and meat and vegetables. But like, yeah, Um, you know, mental health, consent, rape and sexual assaults, like really important, really important information and also distributed to kids like resources that they could have in case, uh, you know, they were suffering from any of these things that we were talking about. And so, you know, you led a workshop. So I led the one on abusive relationships and I would give it every week or twice a week to a different high school. And then other people in the organization that were, for example, specialized in the one around mental health would give their workshop. And over the course of the year, each classroom would get all 10. So you always taught the same workshop with different kids every week. And I liked doing that, but I also felt like I really wanted to develop like a, a more like a longer lasting relationship with the kids in the classroom. And it was a bit frustrating for me to like have to move on after 45 minutes with them, Mm -hmm. which like a lot of it is spent asking them to take you seriously in the first place. Cause you're just like walking into their high school, obviously from a very different background than they are. And you're asking them to listen to you about like information that is highly vulnerable and sensitive and Mm -hmm. that they probably like never heard phrased that way, you know? Anyway. So there was this other program that instead made like asked you to work with one classroom and you would work with the kids in the classroom they were like in eighth eighth grade and you would ask them to identify like you worked with them to identify an issue in their community that actually that they were passionate about changing so it might be like bad food in their cafeteria it might be um to get pe classes it might be to like have like stop signs near their schools or whatever and then you had an entire semester to help them navigate our like civil society and that things that are accessible to them, like writing petitions or like writing a letter to your mayor or whatever in order to implement these things into your community. And I was like, okay, wow. Like this sounds great. Like Mm -hmm. anyway, so I worked in a classroom and the project that they chose was they had very tense relationship with like the police precinct that was right next to their school. I mean, their school was so over police. You had to walk through metal detectors in order to get to their classroom Mm -hmm. A lot of kids who were hanging around after school, like, would get arrested if, Mm. I don't know, if they smoked weed or just, they all had, like, really terrible stories Mm. um, about their interactions with the police. And so we kind of came to the agreement that they wanted to host workshops or, like, have works organize, like, a few lunches or something with them and the police department to, like, have better relationships with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm forgetting. This was many, many years ago. But, yeah, basically a project around that, around, like, mm-hmm. meeting these police officers and, like, telling them their grievances and also, like, reviewing the laws of what they could and could not do, like, what the policemen could and could not do and mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
really it's like I should have been like, yeah, well, we just want to like fucking destroy the place yeah. altogether. But I guess <laughs> fuck the police. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know how much that structure allowed me to do that. Yeah. So that's another thing that's awkward because it's like obviously you're targeting, and we learned about the the school to prison pipeline and everything. Yeah, which which is cool. Like, so they become more empowered around that issue. But then an hour to a week is not really enough to fix like this kind of problem. No. And also, you know that by the end of the semester, you have to pick a small scale project because you're going to have to present what your project was. Mm-hmm. So anyway, also it was a very, very, very challenging classroom where I spent with the person who was teaching um, with me, like the vast majority of the time, like quote unquote, disciplining them and like getting them to listen to us. And really like our goal should have been by the end of the semester, let's try to like build a better community or let's mm-hmm. try like small things. You know what I mean? And the fact that we had to like pursue a project that would have quantifiable outcomes in like three months, you know, mm-hmm. was really stressful to everybody, mm-hmm. especially because they did not listen to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, all this to say that we achieved very, very little in the three months that I was working with them. Uh, I did not feel great about the experience. We ended up writing writing a letter to the police precinct next door that I, I think was basically mailed out like the day that the project ended, you know, mm-hmm. but that's all that we managed to do. And in and of itself, like it's still maybe like... What I value about that experience were the classrooms, were the classes where we actually talked about like the larger prison system and the school to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. But all the stress around producing an outcome for this project was really, mm-hmm. really counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And so the last day of basically after, and this happens in, this was in 150 different classrooms in the New York area. And there is a like kind of open door salon type thing. That happens a week after where three students from each classroom, so there's like three students from my classroom, that presented the project that we did. And so already you have to only select three of the kids to do it. So there's like an aspect of that that I was uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up doing like basically all the poster work with me and my other teacher. And it becomes around, it becomes about like marketing what you did in the classroom and like showing Mm -hmm. everyone like what great outcomes you came up with. And Mm -hmm. then basically rehearsing with the kids to like make what we did sound really good. And that actually just becomes a whole other project that's actually, that has nothing to do with what really happened in the classroom. Cause at this point, you just want to win this competition of like Mm -hmm. showing. Mm-hmm. the great things that you did with that project form over substance exactly it was I mean it was form over substance to like power a million yeah. it was like there was nothing it was not outright lies but it was also not what happened in the classroom like it yeah. was you know you can turn anything to make it sound good absolutely anyway I was like well clearly this product like it's I mean it, it kind of is crap but like that's fine like mm-hmm. we're not you know, I was almost trying like not to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, well, it, it, you know, we had a lot of road bumps. Like mm-hmm. there were a lot of times where we had to like end the class early because there was, because kids were misbehaving. And mm-hmm. anyway, it was, I felt that it was sort of a failure. And I think the kids did too. Mm-hmm. But when we came to the like salon, do you call it a salon? No, a salon. Gymnasium? Like a, I don't know. Yeah, like a gymnasium with like, yeah. There are hundreds and hundreds of people like presenting their projects and like yeah. all these different tables. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like, yeah, again, did not feel good about the project, did not feel good about the presentation. Um, and then, so, you know, the, the gymnasium 
pitch goes on for like a couple hours and then you sit in the gymnasium in like the audience and then they award like five different awards I guess for like most creative project most um I don't know community involved most like blah blah and the highest project is like basically the one that made the most change um it's called the change makers award <laughs> and it's like really I mean it's a big deal because there are a lot of classrooms yeah and I I mean I did not even in a million years think we were gonna get any sort of prize like the fifth prize or the fourth fourth prize I mean I barely stayed until the end uh-huh. and then <laughs> they give all the awards like five four three two and then I'm you know I'm like excited to see what the first fucking prize did you yeah, know because yeah. it's a big deal yeah and I kid you not yeah my classroom, my project <laughs> gets awarded like the number one award. We get this like metal trophy thing. And I was just, I was just there yeah. like, how is this possible? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how, how is it? It completely discredited the whole initiative in my eyes too, yeah. of just being like, yeah. And also I felt uncomfortable with the kids there because I was like, they, we both know, like we, like all of us know that this experiment did not go well, but we also feel like proud to be recognized as like the first place of this competition. So I feel very conflicted over how to feel right now. Just like empty. Just empty. Yeah. I was like, wow, everything means nothing. Yeah. And and think about how bad all the rest of the projects were. Yeah, exactly. That was that was the most right. I was like, wow, we made the most change having not made like any change. Any change. And the worst is that after that, I think we live in a society that since that's not supposed to really matter because like you got the award, you know? Right. So like a lot of people who would congratulate me, I mean, not the people in the project, but like, you know, my friends were really supportive. They were like, this, this is amazing that you did that. And I was like, but I really don't feel like I did a lot. Like, I really don't mm-hmm. feel like I should have gotten it. They're like, don't say that. Like, you're so modest. Like, don't say that. Like, yeah, yeah. that, like, obviously you wouldn't be reckoned. And I was like, there's like, no, but I really didn't. Like, I don't, yeah. this, there's something fucked up about this, you know? And I still, like, feel guilty about that. And I still feel guilty about having it on my resume. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, in the society we live in now, and I feel like this also ties into, like, social media, like, likes and totally. shares and, you know, just enumerating all of these things, right? In this kind of system, it's it doesn't matter if you did the work. Like, the people who win no. awards... And, and it doesn't even matter. Like, people understand that this is how it is, too, and nobody really cares, no. right? It's not about the actual work you did. It's about how good a marketer you are. Yeah. How good you are at marketing what you did. How good you are at selling yourself. How good you are at, like, creating this whole spectacle of success. And I feel like people – like, I know some people who are marketers and who really buy into this mm-hmm. and who would tell me all the time, like, yeah, you need to brand yourself. You need to do this. You need to do that. Like, it's just all about marketing. They even said, like – you know, the whole leftism and anti-capitalism stuff, they're just like, well, you're just not marketing it very yeah. well. You just got to market it better. Like you're failing because your aesthetics aren't on point. Exactly. You know, like people, people aren't going to join into this movement because it's not like, it's ugly. It's not the catchy. The colors you use aren't catchy. <laughs> the colors aren't catchy. The slogans aren't catchy. Like it's like a scary aesthetic, you know, you got to just market it differently. And it's yeah. like, but like revolution cannot just be like marketed to people no <laughs> like it's really it's not you know no <sighs> and when I think about like my four years and I've told this story a few times on social media already but like 
I went through four years of college. I grew my mind so much. I went to all these amazing classes. And then when I went to the career center at the end of the four years, they didn't care about any of that. It was literally like establish your pitch on why you're marketable, why why you're an asset to make this like company more profitable mm-hmm. in 30 seconds. And we would rehearse like elevator pitch. Oh, time's up. It's been 30 seconds. We would change the words. We would do it again. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even for jobs that I believed in or actually wanted to do. It was literally like mm-hmm. looking at the list and looking at how my particular experience, like how they could be pitched to these different companies to make exactly. me seem valuable. Yeah. And so you leave these meetings feeling incredibly like deflated and mm-hmm. empty and alienated, mm-hmm. but also in order to just stand up straight and get up in the morning again, mm-hmm. believing that, yeah, your pitch is sort of impressive or like mm-hmm. it does make you exceptional or that, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you, you're going to get this. And we're just pushed to keep on going along with this lie because mm-hmm. If we really call out the lie, then, like, we're kind of nothing anymore. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, as you said, like, people are trained from, like, high school to be in this individualist, hyper-competitive, like, rah, 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 look at me, making a spectacle around myself and, like, my success, even if we know that it's bullshit. And then you go in, like, and there's such a culture, I don't know if it's the same in France, but in Canada and in Ontario, there's such a culture around, like don't get a degree unless it's going to get you a job yep. or like, don't, don't like, don't do something that's going to not make you any money. Like you want to make money after. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole thing about like, you know, don't study something for the sake of expanding knowledge yep. or whatever, go into business. Like there's this whole thing about like, well, all my students like, want to go into business yeah. and I'm like, you're 14. There's no way you're actually interested in business. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, but it's just like, yeah, business is the only safe bet to so go into business. Yeah. And this used to really frustrate me about my ex-partner because he would always say that too. And I was just like, no, if I ever have a child, I'm not going to be like going to business. I'm going to be actually like, go into anything, but like, yeah. this is really fucked. Business is fucked, you know? But anyway, so like the majority of kids are like going into business or something like that. That's think that they think is going to be really profitable for them, especially in the system where you have to take on all these student loans or whatever. So like you have to choose something that's going to get you the money to bail you out of your debt situation. So anyway, so then you go out into the world and you're doing these jobs and, you know, these jobs are not services to society like sorry like the majority of businesses out there are not actually great services to society but there's whole this whole culture now of like spinning it to be like well this was a great service to society mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's, it's like apple and google like you know they're amazing like they've changed our lives like they've revolutionized so everything yeah and like revolutionizing the way we like have cell phones and listen to music and if you think about connect with each other right i mean they've actually destroyed like the way that we connect with Mm -hmm. each other on a human to human basis they've destroyed our privacy like we have no privacy like we're we're all totally susceptible to being just taken in by the cops at any time like you know Mm -hmm. anyway but there's this just culture of spinning that to be like, well, this is my contribution. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so people have like these identities and I'm talking from personal experience about people who have been like quite close to me who really thought of their own value or like their idea of success was like making a ton of money for a business. Right. And they would be like, well, I like, I'm doing so well at this job because like, look what I did. I, 
like made this great new marketing campaign and it really works. And now we're getting all these calls and whatever. And I did that, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't actually even matter if the work itself is totally vapid and meaningless and like not helping anyone, but the company. Yeah. But like just the fact that like you are hitting these milestones makes you validated as like, well, I am a great business person. I am a great marketer. Like I am a great asset to this company and that's how I define my success. Mm-hmm. But like when I think about success, like these companies, okay. So this one company specifically that this person I know was working for, what they did was basically like give surveys to people on the internet or like find ways to like collect data from mm-hmm. people on the internet so that they could better target them with ads. Yeah. I'm like, what like <laughs> I don't care how much money you're making for this company. How can you possibly define that work as success? Like what are you succeeding at doing? Helping companies target people with ads. But then like once you're in that and once that's your whole identity, you'll start to rationalize or try and make it like well, some of these companies are, are actually providing like really great services that people need. So it's good that their ads are going out or it's good that, you know, this is happening or this company is actually making this thing more convenient. So that's actually really a help to the world. And I'm like, like, how are people defining help to the world? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, completely. And you end up being invested in defending something mm-hmm. just because your self-worth is tied up in it but that right. thing is actually exploiting you that thing doesn't give a fuck about that, you that, that doesn't give a fuck about you these companies don't give a fuck about you they don't give a fuck about these like revolutionizing the world for the consumer no it's about making money and also your labor is helping them profit that's your why profit. you're quote-unquote a valuable asset at that point exactly right so like your whole self-worth like your whole humanity and is, is wrapped up in preserving this company that doesn't give a fuck about your humanity right exactly and it's like okay yeah it's like form over substance like okay great like you hit these deadlines like you know like in a lot of business companies or whatever like you'll have you know whatever q1 q2 q3 q4 and you'll you'll have these targets for every quarter and so it's like oh great you met your your targets for the quarter whoop de shit like what the fuck does that even like mean? form over substance yeah you know it's just like well great that looks really great for you and boy another gold star in your resume and boy okay i guess now you can you know, leave this company and go get a promotion somewhere else and get even more money because you're just a real asset that can help companies. But it's like, is that what you want? Like, that's what you consider to be like successful. Like that, that's what you consider to be a meaningful thing to do in your life. Or like, you're like, you're happy about that. Mm -hmm. Like you're happy about advertising that works really well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And like, it doesn't even matter yeah. what the company's for. The fact that you're <laughs> right. like valuable for the company is in and of itself. Uh-huh. The fake, the fact that you're valuable for this like fake ass thing that does not exist really, or that isn't yeah. doing anything of substance becomes a hat that you can wear to like help yourself get up in the morning. Exactly. So it's like, it doesn't matter what company I'm working for. I'm helping that. As long as I'm hitting these targets, then that means that I am a good business person. That means Mm -hmm. that I am like an an exceptional employee that, you know, can market myself to other companies as well. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter that all of this is like vapid horse shit and not helping anyone. It's actually like destroying society, you know? And then, like, for people like that, it becomes really difficult, like, you know, and I've, 
you know, obviously this person that I was talking about and like others as well, um, I've been able to, you know, radicalize a lot of people and to at least open their eyes to the ills of capitalism. But I feel like people who are bought into that, it's like they, they go so far, but then they're just kind of unwilling to just go that final step. And they're just like, well, okay, like maybe, like maybe it's not that great, but maybe there are ways to just make it better. Or like, you know, maybe if like all companies were like Google or something, um, with like their campuses of, you know, fun and nap rooms and all this shit, but it's like, it's it's just totally unrealistic things. Like that's not how capitalism works. Yeah. You know? And it's this really fucked up thing where that's how capitalism gets you. It's like, it, it makes your self-worth and like just it conditions you so that so much of your ego and your sense of self becomes wrapped up in defending this thing that Mm -hmm. is actually so bad for everyone, you know? So it becomes like you have a personal stake now to say the entire system of wealth and privilege is fucked up because Mm -hmm. then it doesn't mean you're like a special, right. Special worthy person anymore. Exactly. And I feel like that's really applicable to like a lot of people in the boomer generation because like they obviously grew up with like a totally different economy. Yeah. And there are so many stories of like the self-made woman, the self-made man who like came from poverty and then worked really hard and then made it. And then so, but then I also know people like that who have come to the end of their life and who, who are now like completely depressed because now that they don't have that job and that validation and they, they don't, they don't have any like need for all this stuff that they've accumulated with all their wealth. They realize that it was all just empty. They have nothing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like they're just totally depressed. Yeah. But that's also another like terrible way that a lot of this stuff gets perpetuated is just these people who are like, well, I did it. I worked really hard And then it's like, how do you really argue with that other than saying like, yeah, but like a lot of people work really hard and only a few people actually come into these crazy success stories because that's just not how capitalism operates, you know? Mm -hmm. But for people who have made it, it's like, well, of course it's how it operates. You just have to work hard, you know? Yeah. And capitalism actually is just using your story of exception as like a pot, like a poster child to keep oppressing all these other people, you know? Like- when you become, when you are like the self-made man or woman, but mm-hmm. be honest, mostly man, mm-hmm. um, and capitalism or like, you know, conservatives are using your success in order to posture as this like, mm-hmm. this meritocracy, right? Mm-hmm. That like, if you did it, everyone can, even mm-hmm. if you know that you did it because of like, extreme luck or mm-hmm. like yeah, privilege, then it becomes harder. It becomes hard yeah. to call that out too, because you're yeah. like, okay, well, if I admit that all this is bullshit, then I'm no one. Mm-hmm. And then also, you have these like conservatives really ready to like applaud your success, but basically they're just utilizing it to mm-hmm. perpetuate like the system of like gross inequality. You right. know exactly, yeah. And when it becomes like so much part of your ego like that, then it's it's so hard to not want to defend it. Yeah. So so people who are like actually a success in business and they're getting like. $200,000 per year or something like that. They're just like, well, I worked really hard because like, like I would say that you don't deserve that money. Sorry, you don't, you know, yeah. like a firefighter does more value for, for like humanity than what you're doing, frankly. Yeah. And you're getting like four times their salary. Mm-hmm. So sorry, like just on, no one deserves that. Kind just of in wealth. terms of yeah. value, you know what I mean? Like 
you don't deserve that as one person, you know? Mm-hmm. But then they would be like, well, I, did I not took work risks. hard? Like, I took risks yeah. and, like... Oh, the whole idea like, of taking risks. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. That just fucking annoys me so much. Like, yeah. are you taking more risk than the fucking refugee who had to uh-huh. flee his country to just, like... Yeah. try and like try and get enough food to survive and who spent like weeks on the Mediterranean and mm-hmm. saw people drown like are you taking yeah. more risks than them by yeah. like slightly indebting yourself to buy fucking stocks for some kind of thing that doesn't exist right this is kind of a side tangent but there is a post that's been going around that like you know a, a mother would never put their child's in a boat unless the sea was safer than the land or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. And, um, this past year I was doing like a distance ed, like I was teaching refugees in, a, in the camp in Dadaab, Kenya. Mm-hmm. And the stories that they would tell me were just unbelievable. They told me the story about this one woman who had like all these kids and she had to like flee this violent situation. And so she like traversed the desert, like went to Egypt and then got on this boat to go to Australia and it was this like illegal boat, whatever. And they, for some reason, I guess they were like low on fuel or like the boat was not doing well. It wasn't going fast. It was, wasn't going to get there. So they were like, we have to unload weight. So they started throwing women into the water and they chose to do women and children first. (laughs) of course anyway so she was they were like we're gonna throw like 13 people off board and she was the 13th person that was slated to get thrown but luckily by the time the 12th person was thrown what they were like okay i guess we don't have to throw another person and i'm I'm like yeah like this person's not taking a fucking risk like and and these people who are like oh i took a big risk it's like yeah but you had the money to take that risk you know what i mean it's like if you lost that money, it would have been pretty bad for you, but you wouldn't have been homeless. Mm-hmm. You like it, it would have been like, oh, now I'm struggling a bit. Now I have to like maybe take on extra work or whatever. But like you're not ever like people who are like, should you be rewarded with two billion dollars for taking? Yeah, like that risk compared to the risk that most people take is not that big. Like even if you did stand to lose a lot of money in your position in society, you wouldn't have been just like alone on the street dying. Like it would have been really hard for you maybe if you lost it, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also the people who take the actual risks uh-huh. of like emigrating somewhere in order to yeah. survive, yeah. like what do they get rewarded with? They get rewarded yeah. by like horrible racism in the country that they arrive in. Exactly. And, like just a complete, yeah. Like so much xenophobia and stuff. Absolutely. So. Uh, I'm sorry, they're not really getting rewarded for the risk that they took. No, it's just total bullshit. But then, like, for somebody who made all that money that way, like, it's really hard for them to admit, like, I didn't really deserve $2 million. You know what I mean? Just overnight because, like, a company sold or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And I know someone close to me that made their money that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that I think they'd be... You know, when I talk to them about capitalism and about how fucked up our financial system is, I can feel them wanting, like, agreeing Mm -hmm. with certain things. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely, I could feel them so close Mm -hmm. and not contradicting me about about certain things, but at at the end of the day, still shutting down the narrative because they literally, I mean, they could not reconcile, because there is no way to reconcile, to, like, keep the elite status that they have in society mm-hmm. and to keep getting like 
self-esteem supply from that and also recognize that this whole thing is a farce, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, not not committing to any revolutionary ideals and right. saying that that's bullshit because otherwise it means that they're undeserving of what they have. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that like they, they want to be recognized like, well, I worked for this. So like, you know, I don't not deserve this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it just becomes like so gross and so problematic, especially if those people are then like super conservative and like don't want to pay any taxes to help anybody else. It's yeah. like, meanwhile, they made their like, entire bitch, wealth. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, excuse me. Like, I know someone who made a fortune through government contracts. So I'm like, yeah. So, like, taxpayers are paying for your salary and you don't want to pay any tax. <laughs> like, girl. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And this kind of relates to, like, we got a question for the Q&A, which I, like, we won't spoiler right now. But one of them is about le salaire à vie. Mm-hmm. Um, from Bernard Frio or something, mm-hmm. and um, which means like salary for life. Yeah, and we'll get into it later. It's kind of like a UBI, like a basic income, but it's not because it's trying to move away from this idea of work or like productive work only being work that is economically valued, but actually like looking at the difference between exchange value and use value and recognizing that like we all produce use values and mm-hmm. like, there's no reason for us to be producing these exchange values in service of capital. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's just like totally useless. Like for example, if I like cleaned this apartment right now, that would just be a use value. It wouldn't be it would considered be a big use value. It would be a big <laughs> use value, but it wouldn't be considered like productive work because I'm not being paid for it. But mm-hmm. then as soon as like a company contracts me out and I go and do this exact same work for the exact same use value suddenly oh this is like productive labor this is like economic you know and it's just what we value and like what we consider to be contributions is only based around things that are economically productive and things that are in my like in my view things that are economically productive are like inherently not actually good for society right yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's very rare that those cases really correlate. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as it's economically productive, you know that a lot of the energy is being diverted toward like marketing it. Yeah, but also as soon as it's economically productive, it means that somebody is being exploited. Mm-hmm. Someone's labor is being exploited for the benefit of somebody else. Yeah. And probably like the environment is also being exploited or polluted or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because for something to be profitable. Right it's inherently benefiting from the unpaid labor of somebody or something else. Right. And like in order to create more and more profit, like things just get destroyed. Like I was listening to like a media reach episode recently about um, like Facebook and Google and basically like Silicon Valley and like this idea that we should be occupying Silicon Valley. Like we should also be occupying wall street, but like we should really be occupying them because they're, taking all like we have no privacy they have all of our data and they're giving that Mm -hmm. all to the government it's just like this corporate government collusion and like they have the ability to influence our emotions like facebook did this test where they like subtly changed what people would see on their news feeds and then did this test to document like how that would affect people's emotions and they found that they could very yeah like they could very easily like change how people are feeling that day like their emotions their thoughts their whatever by like just making changes to what appears on their newsfeed 
And so to me, that's like just a crazy amount of control over like our entire lives. It's like really, really scary. But like it didn't. Well, and then it, they can use that to be like, hey, want to go on this vacation? Hey, right, want right, to right. do this thing on online shopping? Yeah. So it's like, it's all like, it's like minority report, but like real, you know? And it didn't all used to be like that. And same with like YouTube. What is minority report? It's a movie with Tom Cruise, but basically oh, okay. it's, if you watch it, it's like a futuristic thing. And like, he'll be walking down the street and he'll look at a billboard and like the billboards are all animated and they talk directly to you. And they oh, say like, hey, God. Tom, would you like this? Or like whatever, right? But, like, it didn't always used to be like this, okay? So, like, and it, even YouTube at the starting, it didn't used to be, like, such a, like, monetized kind of whatever. It was very, like, democratized. So if you put a video out and it got, like, a million views, then it would show up as, like, number one, number one watched video is this one, right? But now they've changed that so that, because they control it, because, like, they it would look bad for them if, like, you know, the KKK's video was, like, number one watched thing, right? So they they change it so that it's not totally like democratized anymore you know what I mean so it's like even if something's getting a ton of views they can kind of like just put it aside like like not show that it's trending or something like that right Mm. so there's all these ways that they actually control what we're seeing in like very nefarious ways and that all has to do with like profit and like you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. the influence of other companies and ads and and all of this stuff so I just really feel like the profit motive ruins like every good thing just gets ruined by the profit motive like it really does it really does does. yeah and it all makes us buy into I really feel like there's like a global worldwide conspiracy where we're all just like agreeing to posture as if this is who we are and this is real and these social like yeah exchange values like mean anything and these projects we did mean stuff and these companies Uh are actually doing good and there's just this general global consensus that like any of this stuff means anything totally that leaves us feeling totally empty yeah and like scared because it's like am I doing this well enough am I gonna get unmasked yeah Exactly. Or like, is this good enough to get me a job? Like I've recently changed my entire LinkedIn because I'm just like, yeah, looking for jobs now. And and I have sat through a number of like conference videos and stuff about how, uh, you know, work is changing. Pretty soon we're all just going to be entrepreneurs of ourselves and just be doing contracts for everybody and no one's going to have a position, blah, blah, blah. But they're like, oh, like LinkedIn is so important. Like if you want a job, you have to get your LinkedIn like up to caliber sucks. I need to work on it yeah so I mean I, I still have to do a whole renovation of it but like I did a little bit so far so in, and it's for business right so like instead of saying like oh I'm a university educator or whatever it's like I'm a project manager and policy analyst I'm not a fucking policy analyst like you I, are though Maxi stop selling yourself short, right girl. like I could do that job and everyone's like well that's what really you've been doing this whole time you've been <laughs> yeah. an, you've been analyzing yes. policy yeah. you've been doing this if you think about it though right you have been managing projects right? I have been managing research projects I have been anal- analyzing policy so I guess I'm a project manager and a policy yeah. analyst you've also been doing data gathering I've by... been doing all of this stuff <laughs> So, like, you should see the titles and and everything that I put in this whole, like, LinkedIn. And I know it's horse shit, but I'm, like, but I'm super invested in, like, okay, how can I make this the, the, like, most, you know, well put together LinkedIn? And, like, how can I write my little intro blurb to be the most, like, 
eye catching and like, you know, draw the reader in and like show them a bit of my personality, like show them that I'm but creative. Never too much, yeah, exactly. Never, never too much. much. Right. But like show them that I'm creative, but also like a serious professional, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's just like disgusting. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just all posturing. Yeah. All, all posturing. posturing. And I feel like that's a very patriarchal thing too. Like male posturing is like a very real thing that we could like do another podcast on. Yeah. But I feel like that's really something that we're just, we have to accept. Because if we don't, we don't get a job and then we don't eat and then we die. But like, <laughs> you know, capitalism is voluntary, just voluntary exchanges though. Mm-hmm. I can volunteer to die, I guess. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, and something that makes me... When it makes me really sad is when I see that same behavior applied to social justice spaces. Mm-hmm. Recently, I was at this animal liberation gathering. It was anarchist too, right? It was anarchist. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think we're going to speak about it more in our other, in a later episode that we have planned. Yeah. But I'll just say this. The gathering did not go well. It was three days long. I learned so much about how never to organize a gathering in the future if I was ever responsible of it. I think mm-hmm. there was really not there was really not emphasis placed around like having people build any sort of trust or solidarity or good communication amongst each other. It was just nothing got done and I think that people really didn't feel supported and really didn't feel heard and god I could go on for two hours about the reasons for why I think that that was. But at the end of the gathering, there was a proposal or there was a meeting to draft up some sort of like manifesto or some like the goals that we had or the the conclusions that we had come to throughout the three days and sort of have like a 10 step thing that we could all sign off on. And I was just there thinking like, we are playing into the same goddamn thing that capitalism is like the focus on the outcomes rather Mm -hmm. than acknowledging that the substance was not there. And the animal liberation gathering would have been so much more productive if the outcomes, if the sought outcomes were really small and really modest. Like if they Mm -hmm. were literally like we have 70 people in a room together for three days and we want those people to walk away with the conference with a better network or a better connection amongst each other Mm -hmm. Um, and a plan to meet again next year, Mm -hmm. you know, something really little. And then if we exceed those expectations, great. If other things like spontaneously build from this like collective brainstorming, awesome, Mm -hmm. you know, but instead it was really flipped on its head and so little went into actually like building those connections from the ground up. And then at the end to have this like presumption or this pressure to draft this manifesto of outcomes that we had supposedly worked like (laughs) achieved in three days was really farcical. I was like, no one feels good about this conference. Like, why aren't we acknowledging that? Why aren't we discussing how to make it different next time? And why are we just working on like a, like a set of bullet points that we're going to be able to post on the website. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it's because then other people are going to be able to go on the website and see like, wow, they achieved this and this and that. Mm -hmm. But on top, like not only does everyone feel shitty walking away today, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but everyone's going to feel even a whole lot shittier if their experience is not reflected or taken into account Um. into like just the bullet points that are written on the website after, after this. It's like, we're, 
we're again, this is like an anarchist like liberation gathering. We're playing into the same goddamn thing, you exactly, know? Exactly. Yeah. People are just gonna be alienated and frustrated and just being like, Well, this whole thing was a sham, like yeah. because these bullet points are bullshit, you know. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I really hate the focus on like outcomes. Me too. And that's really the same thing the like the advice I got in writing these resumes. It's like it doesn't matter. Like, like whatever line you write has to have an observable outcome. Mm-hmm. It has to be like, I did this for this purpose and achieved this. Like, if you didn't achieve something, like, don't put it in. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and it's also making me think about how so much of our resumes are bullshit. You're like, I devised... I, I influenced a team of like 1,500 people and they're yeah. like, no, you know, you started off with three and then your career advisor yeah. or whatever says like, well, those three people though, they <laughs> each had like 100 people they were influencing. So technically, if you actually think about it, right. you really did influence at least 2,000 people and right. plus those people have kids yeah. and those people know kids in right. Nepal and so right. you probably right. helped their poverty yeah. situation too. And you're like, well, really? I was just like, numbers. yeah, I was just sitting here uh, doing social media for a startup for 10 yeah, days. Are you exactly. sure I did all of this? Yeah, no, serious. It's so funny. But also, like, really sad. But also, yeah. But yeah, you should see some of the bullet points I have up on my LinkedIn. Oh, you should see some of them. You would be so impressed if you read it. You'd <laughs> Me too. be like, holy shit, like, are like but you've you done managed a project like, no, no, no. budget for this entire yeah. organization. The organization was like me and five people. <laughs> yeah. I, I did organize the entire budget. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> From January 1st to January 3rd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I hope our future employers don't listen to this. Uh, Fuck them. We are very capable. (laughs) I wish we could just do content as our jobs. Like, just make Uh, content. Yeah, we do. That would be amazing. Yeah. Because, yeah, and I also never want to think about, like, you know, people, when I got tattoos that were visible, people were just like, or my nose ring or whatever, people were just like, what are you thinking? Like, it's going to look bad to employers. And I'm just like, fuck employers. If somebody doesn't want to hire me because of some preconceived notions they have about my appearance, I don't want to work for them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be in that environment. Mm -hmm. That would be so fucking soul sucking. Like, I know a lot of people don't have the option of, like, doing something different, but I'm like, as long as I can avoid that scene, I'm a... I'm a certainly avoid it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also about all the people who have jobs that they ruin their health. I mean, yeah, again, a lot of people don't have the option. I guess I am talking about people yeah. who have the option a little bit more. Like mm-hmm. I know someone well who works in the restaurant industry and who has a works in a very very stressful environment and all is also around people of like incredible wealth and fame all the time so they completely buy into those social constructs and end up taking a lot of substances in order to just show up to work every day and be the most efficient employer that they can and not not employer employee that they employee. can and they're known as like you know the best the best employee, like the best waiter for their entire establishment. And they make the entire establishment like so much money. Mm. And so I think that this keeps them from, I mean, this really, really validates them. And, but I'm just over here thinking like the second that your addiction gets like right now, you're a very valuable asset to their, to your company and they're making you feel like you're irreplaceable. But the second that your drug addiction gets so bad, the second that your drug addiction that they are funding and that they're happy that you have because it makes you a more highly performing employee, the second that that flips mm-hmm. and makes you unable to 
work and mm-hmm. to be healthy to show up every day, they're not going to give a fuck about you. No. You are going to be fired within two hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's just, so, you know, we, I was talking about this with my friend actually, because she worked at a restaurant and all the sommeliers who are the people who sell the wine and who taste the wine, all of the like best sommeliers eventually developed an alcohol problem because oh, yeah. they're there like tasting alcohol literally every day and they're very highly paid and it's very hard. It's like a very skilled job to have. Oh, yeah. And then once their alcohol problem gets out of control, they just get fired. Oof. And like that just makes me so sad, you know, yeah. because like the restaurant is obviously benefiting from them having this like mm-hmm. an acknowledged alcohol problem because it's making you a good sommelier because right. it's making you like down to take clients out and to try wine all the time and yeah. to have a love for your job but they know that they're feeding into this thing that's going to be ultimately super destructive for you mm-hmm. and the second that the other side of the coin like starts mm-hmm. to take over mm-hmm. and makes you less competent then they're mm-hmm. going to throw you to the curve absolutely the profit motive does not give a fuck about you the profit motive will destroy you mm-hmm. for profit and then when you're done, we'll just replace you. That's the thing where people, and I've said this many times before, but when people are just like, well, if you don't like where you're working, why don't you just go get a different job? That presumes that there's a shortage of labor and that labor has some kind of power that they can be like, well, I don't like it here. So who else needs me? Who else wants me? If there's a shortage of labor, then companies will be like, yeah. yes, I do over here. Me, I want you. Mm-hmm. And like, if there's a super abundance of labor, they're going to be like, well, I don't really need you because here's another person with exactly your skill set. So I'm just going to take them and you can go die, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah, I mean, fuck the profit motive, fuck capitalism. Yeah. There literally is nothing, it's impossible to prioritize, like, substance over form. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem with so much of our Mm -hmm. society and, like, self-construction. And I Mm -hmm. certainly have to remind myself constantly, like, okay, I'm not what I do. I'm who Mm -hmm. I am. Absolutely. My value, even if it's not, my value is actually like, yeah, the productive value of what I do, or I think you called it productive over exchange value. No, the use, use value, value, like my use value, mm-hmm. you can call it that, is mm-hmm. so different than my exchange value. Right. And, and I don't give a fuck about exchange value. No. Sorry. So if that makes me look like I'm a failure in life or that like, yeah, I'm not playing the game properly, I'm not making it. I don't want to make it in this society because this society sucks mm-hmm. and I've never liked it. Yeah. <laughs> mic drop yeah but yeah and I I think that we also kind of have that in relationships you're talking about this a little Mm -hmm. bit the other day just this idea of like a lot of people value the form of the substance like they value this idea of like finding a forever love and getting a house and having a white picket fence and kids in the yard and like you know living the American dream basically you know what I mean and then they just they're just trying to find somebody to put into that picture instead of actually just trying to find like a meaningful connection with another person, regardless of what their life would look like together or regardless of like whether they would have a ton of money or whether they would have that house with their picket fence and like all this other bullshit. So yeah. like that's just a whole other way that we have this whole idea of like what we're supposed to do in life and like how far we're supposed to be uh, you know, along the road towards this American dream at certain age, like people have like really a lot of anxiety around like, Oh my gosh, well, I'm this age and I don't, I don't own a house yet. And I don't have this yet. And it's just like, 
that is such horseshit. You know what I mean? And that's all just form over substance. Yeah. And I think that's like form over substance is probably like one of the major problems I have with capitalism as an entire system of like thinking and being, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's like my number one issue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, completely. What you were saying about relationships, um, were socialized in such an individualist way to just pursue like our life plan. And so other people become just like pawns to Mm. play into like that will make that life plan realizable before being people in and of themselves that could deviate that plan or that, Mm -hmm. you know, are worth pursuing in and of themselves, like for the actual person, not for their contribution to your plan. Right. Or like not for like this potential magical life you could have together. No, like they're worth pursuing just because you care about them and that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? (sighs) Yeah. That value in and of itself, that substance, that Mm -hmm. literal just focusing on like the essence of what things are instead of Mm -hmm. how they can be represented Mm -hmm. in a story or in a resume or in or like what that does to your image from other people looking in like if that person being next to you makes you look better as a person Mm because like oh look I landed this person and oh look like we just bought our first house and oh look like we have the cutest baby let's put it up on Instagram and get all the likes Mm -hmm. and like oh look everything's so magical in our great life you know what I mean like fuck that Like, it just totally takes away from meaningful connections between people that, like, none of that fucking matters. Like, as long as you're able to live together and, like, eat food and have shelter and be together, it's like, that's a life. Like, Mm -hmm. that's it. It doesn't have to be anything else other than that. And Mm -hmm. I just feel, like, really, like, upset that people don't get that, you know? Yeah, and I feel really upset that society just dismisses whoever doesn't take off those exactly. boxes. Exactly, exactly. I really try to make a point with the people that I know and with my students and with my friends and family. Like, you are so worthy because you are you. Like, mm-hmm. I'm interested in your core. Like, regardless right. of what happens after our work together, or our relationship, or how society views these things that you do or don't achieve, like... I love you for you. You know, I mean, I don't tell my students I love them, but I'm saying like in general, you know, I think it's really important to communicate that to people, mm-hmm. to give people compliments, not like, oh my God, it's amazing that you got this award. Like congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, it's important, but also that yeah. contributes to like your feeling of sort of being a fraud, Yeah. but maybe giving compliments that are really, or acknowledgements like so that are really rooted. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love how empathetic you are. I love how you've listened to me. I mm-hmm. love that the fact that, you're able to step out of like your shoes to really put yourself in my position and Mm -hmm. try to like empathize with what I'm going through, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, but yeah, things that are really about the person, because for me, at least every time I've gotten acknowledgement for a diploma or an award or a grant, I've always sort of felt like I'm a fraud. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I've been experiencing that so much with my PhD. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, because to me it's like, oh my God, I've just been doing this for so long. It just, it's just like, yeah, natural. Like I'm, I didn't feel like it's a big deal, you know? And then everyone is just like, don't sell yourself short. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like the don't like sell what short. an accomplishment. Like, wow. Like I'm so impressed with blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Like whatever. 
Right. And it's not just that you're being modest or selling yourself short. It's that I'm literally, literally you're like, like, I'm I don't so know, much whatever. more than this. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm so much more than this. And this yeah, really like, doesn't necessarily define me or what I've done. No. You know? And that like, and I never want to define myself by what I've done or like, my like contribution to business or you know what I mean? Because all these things, like all these metrics of evaluation are just so problematic because again yeah they are a form of a substance like they're not forms of recognition that actually you know detail anything about like what you've actually contributed or who you are or anything like that so it's just like I never ever want to think of myself or like my purpose on earth to like be this hard-working really great citizen that's like contributing to society like I do want to contribute to society but I don't view making money generating revenue I don't view that as inherently contributing to society in any way I think something that helps me is realizing that like I really need to work kind of on myself and recognizing that value that can't be taken away from me through like a label or through a promotion or through something because when if I fail if I become ill if I become you know yeah like those people who I seek validation from if I'm seeking like professional validation or whatever, Mm -hmm. like they're, as we said, not going to give a fuck about me anymore because I'm not a value to them. So like, how can I give meaning to things that are sustainable and that regardless of like the cert, like are not circumstantial Mm -hmm. are actually like rooted in who I am and like connections I have with other people, you know? Um, because otherwise it, I totally understand getting distracted by wanting to market yourself or wanting to make it look a certain way to other people. And it's really hard to like focus in on your truth and like shut out all the noise, Mm -hmm. but try to like gravitate towards the people who, you know, love you for you and, you know, are going to encourage your self-development like away from those labels and try to Mm -hmm. also cultivate those relationships with the people that you love by Mm -hmm. telling them exactly why you love them. And trying hard to not tie that to their achievements exactly that is so well said like really I feel like that was not well said. no that was like crap nobody can see me but I'm like nodding the whole time I'm like yes 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 but um but no I, I like I feel like as cynical as we are about this I also feel like it's so fucking liberating to be like to just see through all of this and to be like fuck the system. I don't care if people like, I don't care about getting validation from, you know, the professional world, or I don't care about people looking at me and saying like, Oh, wow. Like you make, you have such a great salary. You have such a great job. Mm-hmm. I hate that when, and especially like I have some friends who are just like, when they go on dates or whatever, like if I'm like, Oh, Hey, how was the date? How was the guy? They'd be like, well, you know, he was nice. He has a really great job. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, really great car. And he paid. Right. I'm like, fuck his job. Fuck it. Like, fuck him paying. Like, what are you talking about? Like, who was he as a person? You know what I mean? So it's actually like really liberating when you kind of get to this point where you're just like, I don't care about this. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll tattoo my face because I don't care what employers think of me because you know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like that's also a privilege. It's, it's like a privilege. Like, but, and I also wouldn't do that because I do care. Like I'm looking for a yeah. job. Like, 
Like, like I need to like eat. story of our lives. You're like, we don't care. And then we're like, wait, but we're we like, gotta do it. Like, yeah, like I would never actually do that. And like, <laughs> I need employers to hire me. Yeah. Um, but know that, I guess we know that we're not doing it because we need employers to hire us, which is marginally better than not doing it just because right. you actually care what employers think. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like the point of all this is that like, yeah, if I fail, if I don't do well, whatever, to me, like this whole business world means absolutely nothing to me. So like, I don't get my validation from that. Mm -hmm. And that is really liberating, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would just encourage everybody (laughs) to tattoo their faces. (laughs) If you really don't care, buzz your head, tattoo your face. Yeah. Prove it. We're waiting. (laughs) Tattoo vegan Vanguard on your forehead. Yeah. Or, and tag us in Instagram. Yeah, Maxine Marie made me do it. Or fuck the man. Yeah. <laughs> fuck just... you, employers. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that would be awesome. Mm. It makes me think of Jack Black in School of Rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Stick it to the man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But really. But really. So I guess that's our advice. Yeah. Yep. So I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful rant. I've enjoyed ranting. I've enjoyed ranting too. It's just so nice to record podcasts like face to face. Yeah. It just comes so much more easily. Yeah. You can really get into it and I can see your whole like movements and everything. Yeah. And, like your eyes and yeah. like you can see me nodding. And yeah. And that's yeah, really nice. Yeah. yeah. It's really nice also because there's something about Skype where sometimes if there's even a slight lag, like I'm always, oh yeah, you know, we have a lot of points that we edit out where we're like are you finished talking or like should I make the point about this now or like is now a good time to introduce a b and c yeah and it just is so much easier when we're like face to face oh I wish we lived in the same city me too all you gotta do is move on that's true I'm kind of loving being here and like I want to work on my French and stuff too that's true Maxie's French is so cute oh my god I love it (laughs) really I love it so much. Oh. Also, it's so cute how excited you are to speak speak it. I because I never get a chance. I know. Yeah. I know. She's been really happy about the fact that people don't just instantly switch to English. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I mean, like no shade to les Québécois, but whenever I'm in Quebec and I start speaking, and obviously I have like an English accent in French, mm. like you can tell that I don't sound completely French. Don't tell yourself to write, babe. Yeah. You're definitely, you're definitely highly proficient on your resume. Oh, thank you. But anyway, so Conversational they'll, they'll hear me speaking French and then they'll just immediately switch to English. Uh. And I'm like, what? Like when I hear you speaking English with a thick French accent, I'm not like, oh, don't worry. I'll just speak French. That's, yeah. that's rude, girl. Anyway. Yeah. It's also because French people like fucking hate tourists who speak English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're assholes. So that's good. I mean, because I guess they're not switching to English. Yeah, so it's, yeah. like, quite nice, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Anyway. Nice. Well, you can definitely stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I have enough room to house you in this, this tiny shoebox of an apartment. Mm-hmm. As long as we can eat and live, girl, so, that's a yep, life. Yep, that's a life. That's true. It's a life. Anyway. Anyway, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yes. And... Well, shout out the patrons, I guess. I mean, we're recording this much, much, very far in advance. So. I'll, I'll splice in a shout out to the oh, patrons. Oh, you'll splice in. And go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a lot of new patron pledges to shout out this week. I guess the orgasm <laughs> podcast really made a splash. So thank you very much to Amy, 
to, I'm sorry, I probably won't pronounce this correctly, Jernaja or Yerneya Tomsik. I'm so sorry. Um, Media Roots Radio. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I talk about Media Roots Radio all the time, but check them out. It's one of the best podcasts ever. And also Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. Thank you so much. Unbelievable. Also one of my top favorite podcasts. So check both of those out. And thank you also to Liza and Naomi. So amazing. And if you'd like to support the show, once again, you can become a monthly patron uh, at our website, veganvanguardpodcast.com, or toss us a one-time donation via PayPal, or share our episodes, or give us a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play. Okay, thanks everyone. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.